Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Chris Yeh Podcast. I am, as always, Chris Yeh. It is April 1st, 2020, and we are having an emergency broadcast because Scott Johnson has found this incredible deal that we need to look over. So let's start with the deal that we're going to be examining today. The deal is a company called Pistachio, and it is disrupting the $20 billion pest management industry. I'll read off the description from the company website. Pistachio's team of leading medical device and AI specialists has just emerged from stealth mode with an alternative to poisons for rodent population suppression. The trap lures the rodent with a food aroma, immobilizes any male that enters, delivers a local anesthetic, performs a simple and precise sterilization procedure, and then releases the rodent. Females are untouched. Because rodents have flourished in urban and suburban neighborhoods in the absence of sufficient natural predators, they have contributed to the spread of Lyme disease, to the spread of Lyme disease and it's critical that we address this issue. Uh, the team chose the physical sterilization approach after the winners of the $25 million Michelson Prize grant failed to produce an effective and long-lasting chemical approach. So instead of chemicals, surgery robots. Now, Pistachio has recently closed a $12 million Series A after spending a year and $2 million proving the efficacy of their device. And the money that they're raising is going to be used to simplify the design and produce the first commercial units. So what they're doing is they're combining surgical robots with physical restraint, automated anesthetic injection in a compact and affordable machine. This is a tremendous technological achievement. The way the business model works is the company leases the machines to pest control companies as well as municipalities that are looking to address their pest problems. And they make their money on high margin consumables, i.e. the aroma packets that lure in the males, the anesthetic packets that are required to make this a humane process. So very interesting company. Let's throw it open. And what do people think? I'm uh, joined today by Scott Johnson and Jeff Abbott of Blitzscaling Ventures, and they're gonna share their opinions. Well, I have personal experience with this. Uh, we had rats at our house. We were composting, and the rats discovered that composting was terrific. And we fed rats until they bloomed and flourished. And at, <clears throat> at one point, I had some organic fertilizer on my lawn. I put it out on the lawn, and we woke up one morning, and there were rats literally grazing on our lawn like sheep. And we knew we had a problem. And the only solution was poison. You can try to trap them. You can try to, um, uh, <clears throat> in other words, maybe entice them away in some other way. But really, you, you kind of have to kill them. And poison is the only really good way to, to do that quickly and effectively. And it turns out when you poison the rats, you end up poisoning the ecosystem because the, the hawks come down and eat them, the, the cats might eat the rats, uh, neighborhood cats. Uh, it's, a, it's a terrible problem. And it's, uh, it's very true that these rodents are flourishing. If anyone's been to New York City and seen a rat this big outside on the street, uh, you know that they're, they're doing very well there for sure. Mm. And Jeff, how about you? The, uh the fact that you point out is obviously the, the abundance of food and, and compost is just one of many things that a hungry rat can feast upon. And, and certainly these days with food waste being the well-known problem that it is all around the world, uh, as well as just the accumulation of landfill waste, not to mention the warming temperatures, which are spreading more suitable habitats for rats around the world. Everything that I've come across suggests that we could be witnessing a rodent explosion on our hands in the next decade. And, and so clearly uh, the market size for this 
for this business is, is not only large, but it's multiplying at, at a rat-like space of propagation. Um, so, so clearly, you know, uh, it, it meets our criteria of a large and blitz-scalable market. Yeah, what's interesting here is as a humane solution that focuses on sterilization as opposed to killing, those sterilized rats, it's fine for the hawks to consume. They can continue to play their role in the ecosystem. What we're doing is we're nipping that exponential growth that Jeff described in the bud. That's the goal. So, um, you know, my questions about this company from an investment point of view, of course, would be, this sounds like a complicated machine. You've got sort of a medical device plus uh, a robot with some AI that's supposed to detect whether it's a male or a female. So there's probably a camera or a video camera or something in there. And, you know, we haven't talked to the, to the team at the company, but like really just conceiving of the complexity of this machine makes me wonder if you could manufacture it at a price point that would make sense. And I know they're making their money. They're probably just you know, given machines at cost, but still it, it, it seems like a stretch to think that that's going to be a thing that works without a lot of service and that, uh, that you can make it a price point that allows the business to grow. So I think by, I can have some product market fit questions here. Um, well, you know, going down that line though, it's, what's interesting is the fact that it resembles an already familiar model of the little black box. People are quite familiar with that presentation, the ones that often contain poison. And so substituting something like that, and, and now with the availability of, you know, remote uh, uh, SIGFOX or other forms of remote communication, IoT sensors, uh, image processing has gone through the roof in terms of accuracy. So I, I really, I saw in their spec here that their uh, their miniature cameras are indeed capable of such levels of magnification that they can clearly distinguish the testicles on a male rat, um, you know, from a 360 degree angle. So at no matter what angle the rat may enter or have to writhe around to, to get the food aroma packet, um, they, they seem to have high rates of, uh, of success in identifying the male rat. Yeah. And yeah. And, and once you pinpoint, <clears throat> where the operation needs to take place, then, you know, it's not that difficult to understand how an arm, <coughs> a surgical arm could take care of uh, what needs to be taken care of there. So uh, I guess uh, we got to tip our hats a little bit to the, to the ingeniousness of the solution. Um, I understand the company <coughs> from the website is also thinking about introducing laser surgery down the road. And uh, I think adding a laser to the device is going to be um, just make it that more that much safer and that more much more, <clears throat> more precise. And it is important when we're thinking about the technology to recognize some areas of the technology are proven and some aren't. So the field of surgery robots has been around for quite some time. I know I've spent some time with the folks at Intuitive Surgical that make the Da Vinci surgical robots for human beings, and this is just a miniaturized version of that core technology. Uh, but I think that what is difficult is making sure that we get the anesthetic dosage correct, that we get the restraints correct. Uh, my understanding is that the company actually is a pivot. Like originally they were building these sort of self-service surgery machines for human beings, but as it turns out, they were unable to get the sort of incidence of unfortunate side effects associated with the sterilization down below 1%. Well, I, 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 <laughs> um, it's an interesting pivot for sure. Uh, Jeff, did you want to say something before we start looking at the scoring for this company on, on the blitzscaling scoring metrics? Well, so I, I had a question with the, you know, the direction Chris was going there was, 
you know, do we expect that there are any sort of ethical concerns or, you know, PETA, you know, uh, the, the abuse of the animal? I mean, so first of all, you know, um, if this surgery were performed on a, on a cat or a dog right now, um, humane societies all over the country are routinely trapping dogs and cats to sterilize them, and that's a well-accepted practice. Uh, everyone knows that male vasectomy in humans is, is elective and, you know, usually, usually harmless. And so how big of a concern is it that something could go wrong or the rat could be permanently harmed or its life put in danger? I mean, what is the worst case scenario here with a, a clip gone awry? Well, I do think that we would expect there to be some incidents of surgical complications. This is still surgery. Uh, we're using anesthetic and I'm sure they're going to be appropriately disinfecting but there will be some incidents of complications because this happens with all surgeries. But at the end of the day, let's remember that this is going in place of the kind of trap that would typically kill the rat. So from an animal welfare standpoint, even if there's a small incidence of surgical complications, it would seem like this is much better for animal welfare. The rats are not being killed. In fact, they are able to go about their lives. They can continue to eat. They can continue to mate. It's just they're not going to mate in a productive way. So if anything, the rats are not going to be killed. They're going to die happy. Yeah, and it's only half the rats. The female, we haven't got a solution, evidently. The company doesn't have a solution for females. It's just a more difficult operation. Yeah. I think the main point is, you know, regardless of the, the percent success rate, which we've already shown from the clinical tests that it's high, that even those failures are non-life-threatening, that they're minimally harmful injuries that the rat would recover from, whether sterilized or not, uh, and are certainly a positive alternative to poisons or glue traps or other things that are, are not only... Uh, potentially damaging to the environment, but cause excruciating suffering on the rat. And nobody wants to be associated with that. And let's face it, I have yet to hear about the class action lawsuit that someone has filed on behalf of rats, right? So these rats do not have legal standing. I'm just not that concerned. Yeah, I, th I think uh, people understand the, the downsides of existing solutions and this is not the perfect solution. I think a chemical solution would be better, but that's not at hand. So this is the best we're going to do in the, in, <clears throat> for the time being. But that is an investment consideration is down the road. If a chemical solution does emerge, can this company take advantage of that? Are they going to be really wedded to this mechanical solution? Let's take a look at the scoring. I'm going to share a screen here <clears throat> that shows, can everyone see the screen? So we've got uh, our, our different, uh, components that contribute to a blitz scaling score. The score maximum score is 100 and this company scores a 40 which is not a great score. 80 is a great score so you know it's not a horrible score. Uh, very rarely does, do companies do better than 85 for example but 40 is pretty low and let's uh, let's look at some of the reasons why that might be. Um, Chris you want to start talking about the first two? Yeah, so when it comes to blitzscaling, we're really looking for companies that are going to be able to dominate a winner-take-most market. And when we look at the pest control market, it's far from clear that it's a winner-take-most market. If you look at the network effects, is there any reason why having one of these pestachio traps out there is going to make all the other pestachio traps valuable? I think you can make a rather strained argument that it's necessary to get to a certain level of sterilization of the local rat colony in order to achieve full suppression. 
but I find that a relatively weak argument. So I just don't feel like there's a land grab. Yes, in some sense, uh, people are only going to put so many rat traps out there, but a rat trap is not a high consideration item. So I just don't feel like there's a stickiness there either. And then on the viral growth and distribution side, again, uh, the thing is the rats are not actually uh, physically affected other than the sterilization. So it's not like it's obvious, oh, this rat has been pistachioed. And so there's no real way to drive that viral growth and distribution. Fair enough. Um, I want to talk about product market fit. And that's, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a little concerned about the price point. We don't know what the price point is going to be. The company hasn't published its pricing. But I, I just worry that to make it competitive, they're going to have to take some losses on the production of the machine unless they can build in huge volumes. And I don't know if they've done the design for manufacturing necessary to make that volume production good. And they probably haven't had enough time to work out all the kinks in the machine. There are a lot of moving parts here. There's uh, weather is going to wreak havoc on some of these electric components. There's the recharging that needs to happen to have them be efficacious. So, you know, just a lot of product market fit and user experience questions that I have. And, and, um, so, Jeff, you want to say something? No, I was going to second you on, on the front of the product market fit, although I do like the fact that the presentation resembles things that uh, are already well accepted in the market, notably the, the black box containing the poison. Rats tend to stick to well-shaded areas. They like to run alongside walls or underneath burrows of, as you mentioned, compost or piled up lawn clippings. Uh, they tend to be burrowing animals. And so, this device needs to be placed in a, in a secluded place uh, that rats are known to frequent. And such a place doesn't permit a device like this to be solar powered like so many other easily plugged in uh, patio light accessories that, you know, that technology is, is well known and accepted. So I'm, I'm really concerned about the, the power consumption, the need to, you know, have elaborate wiring schemes. And so I, I share your concern that, you know, uh, the number of operations performed uh, could be limited by by the power supply. Yeah, I think they have to get to a point where it's as cheap or cheaper than the existing solution that these guys are using. And then you get the extra benefit of the humaneness of it. So that's, um, I, I don't think people are going to pay extra for humane when it comes to pest control. Yeah, it has to be a premium product, though, from a sustainability perspective. I mean, if you think about it, poison peanut butter is pretty cheap. So it's going to be difficult for this to out-cheap the conventional solutions. It has to be something that appeals to those who put a piece of value on sustainability or animal welfare. And so this could be something that maybe is uh, widely adopted among universities where there's greater pressure from the faculty and students to pursue non-lethal means of rodent control. Fair enough. Um, look at the market size. Uh, we have full credit on market size, no question about it, that this is a huge, huge, Jeff explained that well earlier. Gross margin, you know, on the machines, obviously they're not going for gross margin. The gross margin on the consumables we can speculate on. I, I expect that's really good. So they get most of the points on that.
I do think that there is an issue in the sense that, you know, there might be some people who deploy the machines who decide to cheap out and perhaps stop replenishing the anesthetic, figuring that the rats aren't going to sue anyways. I think that that is short-sighted because if the rats are squirming and, and moving around during the course of the operation, it's going to cause more wear and tear in the machine as a whole. So I think they should take a HP-like strategy where perhaps the machine is disabled if it doesn't have sufficient anesthetic supply. Maybe version 2.0, good idea. Yeah. Uh, scalability. Uh, on, on margin that, that concerns me is, um, you know, from, as you mentioned, we don't know what the margins would be on the machine, but this is sort of the Nespresso model here where, you know, we want to sell cartridges, not machines. And so a lot of it is going to come down to picking the right place to place the machine, right? It's just like any other kiosk, right? If you pick the wrong place, you may end up with no consumers. And so I'm, I'm curious to know how they're going to be tapping into municipal databases or uh, you know, other sources of, of government information about where the, the outbreaks are occurring. And, um, and, and secondly, you know, who, the, who the owner is. I mean, this, this could be a great opportunity for, uh, for pest control services or, or even individual entrepreneurs who are looking to make a quick buck. If, if they've got you know, uh, good insight into where rodents are congregating, uh, places of high infestation, I mean, what it, it you know, it, it, it's going to have a lot to do with the sales of consumables is where these are placed. And so I'm, I'm just wondering what, you know, whether they're going to, uh, you know, plug into uh, NOAA atmospheric uh, data or satellite data or other, other forms of data that can help understand where, where the rodents are located. And let me point out that I think the data element is underrated here. So if we think about traditional rodent traps, uh, there is the classic mechanical trap. You can only trap one rodent at a time. There are the poison traps. You don't know how many rodents are actually affected. Because the machine is performing the sterilization, we can know exactly how many rodents have been treated. And maybe a version two of the product could actually add some form of tracking device so that you could actually track the movements of those rodents over time. So this could actually be something taking advantage of the fact that the rodents are already immobilized to get even more data on this plague of rodents. Well, not only oh, and there's that. where a network effect could be created, right? So the more machines you have, the better your data. Mm -hmm. Correct. And, and there's almost a, you know, not only a network effect, but there could be a, a, a networked uh, set of devices capability going on here because that rodent that has been, uh, has been sterilized and, and tracked could lead us back to its host population. And so you could imagine a version 3.0, you know, a, a, a roboticized uh, surgery center on, you know, tank treads or, or little wheels or even something that, you know, had a helicopter drone-like ability that could follow that rat back and, and situate itself uh, much more close to the center of the action. Um, you know, that, that swarm capability, uh, of one or multiple devices could could really have a knockout punch effect on local rodent populations and um, and, and obviously lead to greater consumption of the consumables. Yeah, and you mentioned the drone. I mean, if this thing could pick itself up and move itself to where you know to a better location based on knowing where the rats are, then you could have these intelligent machines finding the optimal locations. And once they've taken care of a population in one place, they could go help another machine that's found a dense population somewhere else, and really have this intelligent swarm of rat uh, infestation prevention uh, machines that uh, that really mm -hmm. solves the problem once and for all. You know, and finally, exciting. there's there's a co-marketing opportunity here because in addition to tracking the rodents, 
and following them, since we're, we're not killing them, we're just sterilizing them, they could possibly be, be branded or spray painted or even have a little uh, t-shirt on them that, that contained the branding. And, and when they were out running around on the campus or through the backyards, they could you know, carry the promotional message of, of, of sponsors. So there could be additional, not only data revenue here, but sponsorship revenue as well. Look, yeah, I mom, love there yeah. goes another M&M's rodent. That tricky, you know, he got the peanut, but we got him, didn't we? Well, I think, yeah, the media opportunities here are, uh, are really interesting. That's a good point. Yeah, no, especially if you think about, I mean, this, I'm, I'm warming to this idea, Jeff, especially if you think about the virality of phenomena like Pizza Rat in New York, for example. Imagine if Pizza Rat uh, was branded with pistachio, right? That would be providing some of that distribution and, and virality right there. Exactly. Well, and hopefully whatever the branding is, it'll make the rat more attractive to the female. So that's the one the female chooses and, and thereby reducing the population and, and uh, <clears throat> keeping, uh, ma making sure that the, that the goal of the thing, which is to keep the fertile rats away from the females is, uh, is working. So yes, we, we do have to make sure that the treated rats are as sexy as possible. That, that's important. Uh, scalability, I mean, they didn't get high scores on scalability, guys. Um, Jeff, you want to comment on some of the issues there? Well, certainly, you know, one of the challenges to, to mitigate many of our concerns here would, would really be that the company had the right strategy. Um, if, if we were certain that they were open to exploring or had even made forays into some of these areas that, that, that we've uncovered that could increase their scalability, their virality, or their gross margins, um, you know, we might feel more, more comfortable about it. But as it stands right now, I don't know enough about the team itself, you know, whether they have the, the background um, in, in device manufacture, whether they can master the challenges of a largely, you know, global international supply chain right now. L likely devices like these are, are, are made in countries right now where supply chains are interrupted. And so I'm a little bit concerned about interruption of services right now. Um, in the in the COVID environment, uh, but you know, Chris, I'm sure you you have some thoughts about what a team can do to to help allay some of these kinds of concerns. Yeah, I think that you know one of the things that they can do is take advantage of the fact that the rats are unaffected by the coronavirus. So, in fact, because people are spending more time at home than ever before, the importance of pest control is increasing. So there may be a uh, counter-cyclical effect, if you will, where the coronavirus crisis is actually increasing the velocity of adoption of the pistachio solution. So well, I think it bears watching. Usually if they can get to any sort of scale by the time the, the, the if, and if the virus is still around at that point. I, I guess my question was more around, look, they've got a device in the field that's complex and that's going to require field service. And so there's a whole or, like operational scalability issue there that I, I really frightens me. I and think that the core there scalability as well, you need a team, you need people who can fix these things and they need to be dispersed throughout the country. And so that's a lot of training and a lot of, uh, they'll probably have to contract with someone else to actually do that field service. And that's expensive. So it's, it's uh, from a scalability point of view, anytime you have a complex machine, in the field, particularly when there's weather and, and, and humans that are gonna like pick it up and say, oh, what's this, you know, let's, let's do something uh, to break it. It's, it's, uh, it. it just makes me think that there's a lot that they're gonna have to go through to keep these machines working in the field and, and producing them in the first place. And that's gonna be- Well, I, I think you're right. And, and certainly, uh, you know, we've learned during, during these times of crisis, the dramatic impact that uh, 
the current crisis has had on all of those organizations that require those field service operations like you know, uh, line bikes and, and other similar business models have not only been accused of littering communities or uh, interrupting patterns of life, uh, not only have they been accused of complicating urban traffic problems, but uh, they have been unable to operate in, in this environment, right? And so I, I share your concern there, but you know, one wonders given the, the, the smaller size of this device, if they couldn't come up with, you know, almost a uh, more of a FedEx or Amazon based model where, um, you know, you can, you can get an app and if you see, if you see rodents, you can have one of these things dispatched and, and all you have to do as a, a, a good Samaritan is just, you know, walk by and see, is it, is it, um, is it working? And if the power levels are low or if it's inoperable, um, you know, just pick it up and, and throw it back in a, in a, in a self-return envelope, like a printer cartridge and send the whole thing back. Um, and then you're rewarded with the credit. And so there's almost a network effect here where you can gamify the, the, you know, and reward the people that are substituting for that field service organization. I don't know if they've experimented with that, but you know, it could be, it could be worth a look. All right. So I think it's important at this point that we sort of summarize and get back to the fundamental question of blitz scalability. So we've gone through, we've done the scoring and people can see on screen that scores 40 out of 100, which is not a particularly good score. But let's hear from each person individually. Thumbs up or thumbs down, blitz scalable or not blitz scalable. How about you, Jeff? So I'm going to say cautiously, if I had to say yes or no right now, I'd say no unless I had further questions answered. But I do think it comes down to an effective application of the blitz scaling principles in the strategy, because I think that collectively we've been able to address enough hypothetical potential solutions to the challenges that they face that if we had confidence that they might uh, be able to experiment with and implement some of them, that that might tip me over in, in favor of a blitz scaling score. How about you, Scott, yay or nay? Well, I'm a definite no, but with the caveat that let's remember that some really good businesses, you don't want to blitz scale them. So, you know, this is maybe a good business. I'm actually, as an investor in, you know, in, in a business that might not blitz scale, uh, I'd still have my concerns. I'd want to have a lot of the questions that we've raised in this panel today answered before I thought it was a good investment. The market size entices me. And I think there's a huge market need for a sustainable way and an environmentally friendly way to, to get rid of rats and mice. We haven't talked about mice. This machine also does mice and that's a big problem when Lyme disease and spread of Lyme disease is a, there's some important things that this could solve, but I just want some more questions answered first, but for blitz scaling now, they don't, they don't need to do to go through all that trouble to scale faster than it's comfortable to scale. They can just scale in a, in a way that, that makes financial sense for them. Yeah. And I'll go with a no on blitz scalability myself. I think that it's interesting what they're doing. The technology is fascinating. They're tackling an important problem. But at the end of the day, getting market adoption is going to be a challenge, especially because it is very difficult for the consumer or the person who purchases and deploys it to see the difference right away. We're seeing this with the coronavirus pandemic. We know that social distancing works, but it takes 14 days for people to really see the effects. And so it's difficult to get folks to stick with it. Well, here we are, we're talking about sterilizing the rats. How soon does that population growth begin to decline? How quickly does it show up? And will people be persistent enough over time? So fascinating company, really interesting technology, but ultimately not blitz scalable. 
So any final thoughts before we wrap up? Well, yeah. So ultimately, this is a fake company and this is an April Fool's joke and none of this is real. You don't think they would have gathered that already? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. But it's been a lot of fun to talk about a fake company with you guys. We um, did end up having all these discussions about this April Fool's gag they were doing. I think that my favorite element that we didn't get into was the possibility of building a von Neumann machine that would exterminate these rats and where the machines would eventually evolve, get out of control and begin sterilizing humans because their programming went awry and that males everywhere would be wandering around with armored crotches attempting to avoid sterilization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did th go through a bunch of iterations. My original iteration was having a catapult that would launch the pests to a central facility that would then humanely capture them. And uh, so we, we had a lot of fun putting this together. I hope you had some fun uh, listening to it as well. How about you, Jeff? Well, the direction that I thought, you know, their, their other sort of unclassified uh, product offering was they, you know, did some early experiments with pigeons. And, and I would have been, you know, equally interested to see the, the, the pigeon version, the sort of airborne drone with wing-mounted miniature lasers seeking to uh, surgically vasectomize a pigeon. <laughs> that would have been more entertaining, right? And I think people, people probably would have, would have gone for it more because the, this whole procedure with the rats takes place under the cover of the night, and it's just not as interesting. You know, what you could actually do, and this is only half joking, if you in fact had a pigeon sterilization drone of some kind, and you were worried about having enough AI to power it, you might even allow individual human beings to take over the controls of the drones. I know I'd love to take a, a turn and attempt to shoot down the pigeon and, and sterilize it myself. Well, there are companies, and I've seen them, it's an analog version of this, that have peregrine falcons and, and their trainers walking around the grounds of prestigious hotels that are uh, infested with pigeons and the, the mere sight of, of the falcon will cause the pigeons to scatter. Now they do eat three to four per day, but a drone with a laser cannon could obliterate the entire population in just an afternoon. Well, there you go. Hopefully entrepreneurs out there are listening in, getting some good ideas for the future. This has been the Chris Yeh Podcast, special April Fool's edition, Blitz Scalability Assessment. I'm Chris Yeh, and I was joined by my guests, Scott Johnson and Jeff Appett of Blitz Scaling Ventures. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed this little April Fool's gag, and we'll talk with you soon.